are listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 1030 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Amen. Isn't that the truth that we are transformed by God's story? Hey, take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, our wonderful ushers have a few in their hands. They're walking down the aisle. Just wave at them, and uh, they'll pass you over a Bible that's a loner, so just leave it there when you're done. And if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get one if you can't afford one or just would like to have one, uh, go to the information center at the, or the information desk outside and just say, I'd like a Bible. They would be happy to give you one. Our uh, only challenge to you is that you actually read it, so we want you to do that. Take your uh, um, worship folder and open it up. I know there's a lot in there. Uh, looking forward to hearing Brian next uh, uh, Sunday night, so c- come to that as well. If you didn't turn in your prayer requests already, please do that. And, uh, and don't forget that survey. It's really important to us. We'd love to have you do that. And, and do that. But open up to the uh, note section on your uh, worship folder. There's some blanks to fill in. We'll give you the answers as we go along, plus a lot of extra verses you can write down. Now, we started back up with this uh, uh, life group and personal Bible study question page. If you miss some of the blanks that are filled in, these actually have this cheat sheet. You actually can get this before the service if you want. Over at the uh, life desk, or there's some up front here, but surely afterwards, pick one of these up. This will also be used if you do a uh, sermon-based small group, that'll be there. Encourage you with that. And, and there's another sheet that's out in the lobby area. I'll explain more about this as we go along. But uh, 12 simple ways to be missional this Halloween. Uh, Pastor Justin found this uh, blog written down. You can see where it's from. But I encourage you to pick one of these up. It's a great opportunity for us uh, this Halloween to be missional about what's going on and, and things like that. Some great insights. So I encourage you to pick that up. But we're starting a new series today. Uh, transformed by God's story as we've been learning about God's story these last number of weeks as we had this campaign, that concentrated focus of looking at his story and then our story collectively and then my story, how we fit into that. But now we're going to talk about how that story begins to transform us and how we are changed by that story. See, we like things that transform, not just the toys, uh, but when uh, we like things that are renovated, refurbished, and repurposed. We like to see things change from uh, useless to useful. Kind of like my Jeepster that you saw out front. Anybody notice that Jeepster out front? Yeah. <laughs> Usually I, I bring object lessons up front, and I really thought about bringing that thing up here. <laughs> it will fit through the doors. But I thought, you know, the oil and the carpet, and all you really be doing is looking at the Jeepster and not really pay attention to the sermon. Or the songs. Isn't that beautiful? Well, it's in transition. And that's the idea about that is that uh, Josh and I are working on this together and we're beginning to do stuff that, hey, the lights all work. And this morning I thought our windshield wipers didn't work, but when I drove it here, they work. Now the little, you know, thing that squirts the water, that's, I don't know what's happened to that. It's probably got some bugs in it or something, but, but it's being transformed. But these things don't just transform on their own. Sometimes uh, they, things need to happen. You don't just throw something out in the yard and hopefully it's transformed. Well, it is transformed, but it, it moves from order to chaos. You know, that, that second law of thermodynamics, entropy, where things move from order to chaos. You know, and the same thing, my Jeep is testimony to that. It's been sitting in my garage, or not my garage, on the side of my house for years. 
nothing's happened. You know, uh, uh, Scott came and helped me with it a while back and some others have helped me with it. And so, but <clears throat> if I don't do something, it doesn't magically transform. It hasn't been until Josh and I just started working on it recently that actually things begin to start working. It, you know, sure, it had a little rust and natural decay, but however, now it's being transformed. And because we put some effort into it, uh, we need to put some creative thinking into that because they don't make parts for this thing anymore. Uh, it needs some attention, a little effort, time and energy. And we also need to do a little bit of study and learning about it and listening to the right people. Because, you know, there's a lot of people who have opinions about what should work and, and they may not work, so you have to listen to the right people. But life is like that. Left alone, we take on the natural current of the day or that second law of thermodynamics where things go from order to chaos and sometimes it's okay, but, and not that bad, but still it's not God's best. Many times, left in the current of the world, life gets destructive, like John. I met John last Saturday, not that this recent Saturday, but Saturday uh, a week ago, when I was uh, serving at the Compton Initiative. We were in Compton working on different houses. It's a great organization. You ought to try it sometime. And, and I, I happened to be working on this house. We were spray painting a house and I had a whole lot of fun with that. I sprayed some bugs to the wall. <laughs> There's even a poor lizard walk by that's now green. And uh, I got him. That sprayer gun's a whole lot of fun. But I was working next to a guy named John. And John was there with his pastor from a church in Compton. And I learned a lot about John's life. You see, John's life had gone from order to chaos quickly. He got involved in gangs and got uh, unfortunately mishaps with the law, got involved in some bad things and uh, listening to the wrong people. And um, his life just got messed up. Uh, he was hurt. He developed some, emo- uh, some tough emotional hangups and some really bad habits, actually an addiction. But then he found Jesus and his life is transforming. Uh, John tried it on his own. We were talking there, spray, and he tried it on his own and and he was even into blaming others, you know, his past, where he was born. But he stopped blaming, he told me, and admitted that he can't control what happens in his life. But he took control of his response, and he responded to Jesus. He chose to sit and to learn from the Lord. It's a beautiful story and a, and a transformation we all can experience. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives some incredible life-changing, life-giving, transforming teachings that can provide help in life's hurts, life's hang-ups, and the bad habits that we so easily pick up in life. And so over the next four Sundays, we're going to be exploring just the first five verses of Matthew chapter 5 to glean from Jesus' great teaching and see how we can be transformed by his story. We're also going to introduce a a ministry that is based on eight key life principles taken from more of Matthew chapter 5, a a ministry we're launching here. You'll hear more about it uh, as as the service goes along. But I want us to look at these first two verses of Matthew chapter 5 as we are challenged with three actions that can transform tragedy into triumph. So if you wouldn't mind, stand at your feet. Let's pray and ask God to do something amazing with us. Andrea always said that we learned something new, and I'm praying it will be amazing to us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the joy it is to come and just <clears throat> sit in this wonderful air-conditioned place and, and just enjoy the time of singing and, and meeting friends and new friends and, and spending time together. And then, Lord, hearing from your word that 
does something incredible in our lives as the Holy Spirit applies it. And so I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would do something amazing in each one of our hearts. Challenge us, motivate us, inspire us, move us forward in our own walk with you and help us as we go along, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat and keep that outline there. Write in those notes. uh, Get what's going on. But Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Hopefully you're opened up to that. But let's look at that if you can. Get there. If not, maybe I'll put it on the screen for you. Here it is. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then he says all the things left in that whole Sermon on the Mount. We're going to only deal with just the first two verses this morning. And then as we go along, we'll, we'll do that. But Jesus saw the crowds. If you, it's a fun study if you ever would do it. Just you know, Google Jesus saw the crowds Bible and it'll show up all the Bible verses where it says Jesus saw the crowds. But I want you to keep one thumb in Matthew chapter 5 and then flip over to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Another instance where Jesus saw the crowds. <clears throat> Listen as Matthew records this incident. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus didn't just look out on the people and go, wow, lots of people. He saw individuals. He saw their hassles and their their hurts. He saw the, the struggle of life they were going through as they dealt with the economy of the day or the, the hassles they had had in their own family experience, the, the hang-ups that they were dealing with because of the, the strain of life that was going on. And, and he knew their bad habits. He knew all about them, everything that was going on in their life individually, not only by name, but all that had gone on in their life. Jesus saw the crowd. Jesus knows. And Jesus knows all that's going on in our life. And we need to know Jesus knows. He knows our hurts. He knows our great hangups and, and the bad habits that we developed. See, that's what sin does to us. Sin messes up everything. Here's a couple of verses to write down. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, you know, in the Bible, the Bible's not written in English. Most of the Bible is, New Testament is written in Greek and then a little bit in Aramaic, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Well, you have to kind of understand some of the idiosyncrasies of different words. Like, for instance, you know what the word all means in Greek? Right. You guys are Greek scholars. (laughs) It means all, everybody but one, Jesus all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. Just simply say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. See, it, it, we're all sinners. We, we all, and we live in a sin-filled world, a sin-saturated world, and sin gets on us. It has its corrosive effect on us and in everything we do, in our relationships, in our work, at our school, even in our church. Sin is just rampant. It's everywhere you go, and it has a nasty effect on us. And all of us live in an environment of sin, and we suffer the reality of its corrosive effects. Galatians 5, verses 19 and 21. Read the whole uh, uh, passage right there, but but it, 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 it talks about sin's effect 
it gives a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. I mean, just look at the news this past week. Hasn't this been a dark week in our world? I mean, it started this week in Canada. A massive shooting and, and, and people going around. Then, then there's something in Sacramento, a, sh- a shooting in, in Seattle. And then here in San Clemente, a, a guy takes an axe at somebody in New York, let alone Ebola. I mean, there's just a, a many things that are going on in our world. It's all rampant because of sin. But it's not just sin outside there. It's also in us. You see, we live in a sin suit. <laughs> it's called the flesh. It has its tendency and its pull, just keeps wanting to go towards sin. Uh, write down, I mean, it, I would love for you to read all of Romans, but if you just can read Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, that would be great. Nine is really good. But you, you know, all of them, it's all good. But, but in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, Paul talks about this struggle that we have with sin within us. In verse 18, it says this. Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that, be, that is, in my flesh, this sin suit that we're in. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. <laughs> Anybody like that? <laughs> you know the right thing to do, but ah, why can't I just do it in this circumstance? You see, the sin environment creates occasions for us to develop hurts and hangups and bad habits in life. Hurts in life come as we are victims of somebody else's sin. Anybody been a victim of crime? Anybody been a victim of somebody doing something very hurtful and heinous or evil to you? Those create hurts in us. Neglect brings hurt in us. People who don't live up to their marriage vow hurts us. People who get into their own problems, they hurt us. And sometimes we step into it ourselves. (laughs) We lie, cheat, and steal. Uh, We do things against God's standard. We mess up and we get hurt. We all have hurts. So let's just say it out loud. I have hurts. I have hurts. We do. We also develop hangups, those emotional tendencies because of the environment or our disabilities. I, I have a a learning disability. I've had dyslexia. Sometimes it's really hard for me to read out loud and it affects my study. And, and, and I've grown up with that. That's created some, some hang-ups in me. And I, I tend to want to get really nervous, especially if I have to speak out loud in front of groups of people. Yeah, just consider the job God gave me. Thank you. <laughs> I need that. You know, I grew up in, in, a, in a broken home. My dad was an alcoholic and and I try to gain my self-worth by people liking me. I, I tend to want to control because my life for so long was out of control. I have hang-ups. And so does the person next to you. Look at them and say, you have hang-ups. Now that's okay. Because now just everybody say, I have hang-ups too. See, we're all, we all have hang-ups. See, we're, we're harassed. We're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We also develop sin-based bad habits. We bend the truth. We manipulate. We get arrogant. We cheat. We don't follow through with our word. We're lazy. We're, 
we're workaholics, we're constantly late, we're insensitive, we're overly sensitive. And I know I could add a few of my own to the list, and so could you. Okay, say it out loud. I have bad habits. I have bad habits. We are harassed. We are helpless like sheep without a shepherd, even as believers in Jesus. See, just because you've come to Christ, just because you've made that step of faith, doesn't automatically mean that, woo, problem free. It means we have the ability to work through our problems and the ability to make it through, and Jesus is there to help us, but we still are going to experience hurts, hangups, and bad habits. We all have them. Now, now some seem worse than others, like, like these. This lady was just wanting to rest after a walk. I don't think she saw the sign that said wet paint. <laughs> or these people over here were on a nice roller coaster experiencing the thrill of their life, and all of a sudden they got stick, st- stuck in mid you know, 200 and something feet up. And this guy wanted to park behind the cement mixer thinking everything was okay until the, it dumped a load on his car. And then this guy being chased by a hippo. Uh, <laughs> hippos are fast. They may be large. <laughs> Maybe that's a new Olympic runner. Then this guy, you know, he went to the hardware store. He got a pe- can of paint. And the guy said, look, the paint lid is on really tight. He took one turn and there it is all over his back seat. And, and the bees just decided to rest in the back of this little Fiat, and I'm not so sure why, but I love this next one. Play it where it lands. That's what they said. <laughs> he somehow got in one of those jumping cactuses that just jump all over his body. And I love the look on the paramedics' faces and just going, I, I, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Yeah, people have uh, hurts, hang-ups, and bad habits. <laughs> Jesus knows, and Jesus understands. He gets our struggles. Write down somewhere on your uh, notes there, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. It talks about how Jesus knows and understands. Now, read the whole passage later, but l- let's look at verse 15. <clears throat> For we do not have a high priest that's speaking of Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. See, Jesus knows. Jesus knows what we go through, and we need to know that Jesus knows because then we have a high priest we understand who understands and gets us. No matter what we go through in life, the struggles that you are facing right now, Jesus knows And he sympathizes with you. In other words, he has suffered with us. He knows what suffering is like. And he has compassion for us. He feels with us. Jesus knows. He knows what we go through. And he has the answers. The answers that help us navigate through the troubled waters of life, of our hurts, of our hang-ups, and the bad habits that we face. That's why... You can write these verses down too. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God is Jesus on the throne. And then that we are to, to, to seek Jesus first. We know that he knows, and so our response to that is to seek him first. To put him as that at the central place in our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of life. And yet we're hit with an obstacle that is forged in this sin nature of ours, this flesh sin suit that we carry, that we want to seek ourselves first rather than God. The truth is we want to be God. Write down somewhere Genesis chapter 3. 
read the whole chapter. But it deals with the fall of mankind, of, of Adam and Eve were in the garden enjoying wonderful fellowship with God, had a, had a great, they, they were seeking first God in his kingdom. And then the enemy, Satan, came and tempted Eve, which tempted also Adam, to eat of the fruit of the tree that God told him not to eat. And Satan's great lie said, oh, <laughs> see, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because then you'll be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him because he wants to keep all of his godness to himself. And Eve was tempted and she came and she ate of the tree. And Adam did too, because they wanted to be like God. And we've been struggling with that ever since. And you and I struggle with that every day because we want to be in charge. We want to be the one who sets our domain. We want to be the one that sets our way we should go. We want to be in charge. We want to be God. We even want people to worship us. You know, fluff us with some good accolades. I want to be first in things. I want people to notice me and how good I am. We want that because we want to be God. And yet we're to seek Christ first, to surrender to him. And as Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30 says, to come to Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. That yoke is that, 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 that uh, apparatus that ties oxen together or donkeys together so they will plow together. It's, it's a way of life. Jesus says, take my way of life upon you for the burden is light. And he wants us to follow his way and yet we want to consult self. Write down this proverb. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. It says, the way of a fool seems right to him. And then I want you to write down this because I just read it this morning. Uh, Proverbs 26. Actually, read the whole proverb because it talks about, the first part of it talks about a fool and how not to listen to a fool, how not to answer a fool, how not to deal with a fool, and what is a fool. And then it says something very interesting. It says somebody who has themselves central, who, who have uh, uh, themselves in that premier place and always consults themselves, who want to be God themselves, is worse than a fool. See, when you are trying to be God, you are, you are the, the, the worst fool of all. But a fool has said, his ways are the only way. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Yet we keep only trusting in self. Why not set aside self and trust in Jesus and take in his transforming truth? He knows. He knows how to help us navigate through life's turbulent waters. He's not like those workmen standing around that guy with all the things stuck to his body not knowing what to do. Jesus knows what to do. The most stickiest mess you can get yourself in, Jesus can get you out and walk you through that. Just trust in him. So yes, Jesus knows. But also believe Jesus has the answers. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, the disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. You ever been so stubborn? You had to do it on your own? You couldn't get any help? Maybe you're like this way. This guy. <laughs> he was told not to go down that road. The road actually says closed road. <laughs> He's calling his, his, his wife, probably. <laughs> Remember that road you said I shouldn't go down? Or this guy. This guy. 
the, the, the harbor master said, don't go down this channel. And I love what he's doing. He's calling. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> we get like that. It's our sin nature that pushes us to think that we're our own God and that we're lured, lured into thinking we don't need help. And we have this self-sufficiency and independence about us. And then we blame everyone and anything when things go wrong. And yet Jesus has the answer. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him. That's Jesus because he cares for you. Our tendency is to find <clears throat> some other way some other way that is more on our terms. And yet, what we need is a no-holds-barred commitment to Jesus. Not Jesus if or, or Jesus and, just simply Jesus. Like John from Compton. He tried everything else. He tried to pull himself up by the bootstraps. He tried to, to, to work it out on his own strength. And he just could not do it. And so he surrendered to Jesus and, and actually believed that Jesus had the answer. If you want a whole Bible book on that, write down the book of Ecclesiastes. It's Solomon's trying everything under the sun besides God in his life. He writes a whole book about it. <clears throat> he tried this and that and this and that and this, this wisdom and not, all those things. Nothing works but God. The conclusion is that to fear God and to obey his commands. Now, now Matthew here, <clears throat> as he's writing about Jesus, he's equating Jesus', Jesus teaching with the intensity and the authority and the power of Moses. Liking to when Moses went up to the mountain to gain direction for Israel. You know that scene <clears throat> back in, in, in Genesis and Exodus of Moses coming to power and, and all of that and, and, and going to the mountain to get God's law? Well, Matthew is, is saying that right here when Jesus went up to the mountain and every Israeli who would have heard that <clears throat> would have understood what was going on, that Jesus was now going to come up and, and say and give us some insights to live on, some nuggets to help, some hope, some healing, some life hacks, some, some wisdom to insider information that give us assistance in life because Jesus can help. The question is, do you believe that? Or is it just a nice thought? Jesus is just one of the other, other little things of the chicken soup of the day. No, Jesus is far beyond that. For Jesus is the way. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to help, to help those hurts uh, when life beats us up. R write down this passage, <clears throat> Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. <clears throat> I love this story because it shows how Jesus can help in the worst possible situation. This is a story of a, of a widow, someone who had lost her husband. And she had hope in life because she had a son. You see, back in those days, there was no social security. There was no uh, good neighbor policy that you could go to your family or friends. When you had trouble, and if you didn't have a husband or you didn't have a son who could work for you, uh, you were in deep, deep yogurt. You, it, it, life was just a, a mess and you would either be on the streets or, or, or begging or, or, or worse, into prostitution. And, and it was really bad. This woman was destitute because her now her only son had died. And here she was walking along in this funeral procession. And Jesus sees her. Jesus knows. And he comes, he touches the dead body, which he didn't do at that point. 
and raise this one to life again. See, Jesus can do that to our hurts. I don't know what your hurt is. What devastation or struggle or issue you're going through. But Jesus can make a difference. He really can. Believe he can. Don't get caught up in the obstacle of our sin culture that pulls our attention somewhere else. Believe. Jesus can heal. Sure, we can blame, like the, the guy who blamed that no one would help him in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, if you read the first, well, well, just read the whole chapter. You get the point that I really want you to read the Bible? <clears throat> It'll change your life. <laughs> but, but in John chapter 5, there's a, a bunch of people who are struggling in, in life, and they were all gathered around this pool, and the uh, um, idea of the day or the, the, the tradition was is that somehow, miraculously, some angel would come and stir the water, and if you were first to touch the water, woo, you were healed. Now, I don't know if that actually happened or if that was just a legend, but all these people who had all kinds of affirmities would come and lay for the whole day around this pool, and somebody would go, ah, oh, the water's stirring. And they would try to get over to it. And this one guy who's at the very end couldn't move because his legs wouldn't work. So he's crawling and every time he gets there, he can't make it. Well, Jesus sees him and says, do you want to be healed? And instead of going, yes, he goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I want to go. The water's stirred and I can't make it over because my legs don't work. I just born this way and no one will help me. And he blame, 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 blame. And finally, Jesus says, get up. And the guy feeling something happen in his legs gets up, picks up his pallet, and just walks off. <laughs> How amazing is that? See, Jesus can do stuff like that. We need to quit blaming, quit whining over our hangups, and get up and follow Jesus. Jesus can change everything. <laughs> like being born again. Remember, we talked about that in John chapter 3 with Nick, Nicodemus, Nick at night? Nick came to Jesus at night and talked to him about this. And Nick, Nicodemus was all into just, you know, kind of adding Jesus to his life. He's going along, adding this, adding this, adding this. And he thought that that was how life was. You could just add a little righteousness in your life. And Jesus goes, man, you're a teacher of the law and you don't get it. We need a whole renovation here. You need to be completely transformed as if you were born again. That's what it's like. Quit trying to follow the world's way that says you've got to do this, 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 and this to get right. Jesus came to change everything. Just to believe and to follow in him, that's what it takes. It, and Jesus can rid us of the bad habits of life, like the guy ravaged with demons of the day. Write down Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. You can read the whole story later, but these guys were, were just ravaged with demons and um, in, in, infesting their life, causing them to do all kinds of crazy things, running around naked and creating havoc here and there. And life was a mess for these guys. They had some really bad habits. And yet Jesus comes and heals. He throws the, the demons into these swine and, and, and they're healed, but their road was not easy. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, hey, just come with me and, and make it easy. No, he sent them back to his people and, and life was tough for them. But they submitted to Jesus for when we do, he can help. Jesus does have the answers. So we need to commit to believe, to trust in the Lord. And believe. And this means we need to lastly release control to Jesus. Look back at our passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Seeing the crowds, 
He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. The word disciple literally means learner. They, were open, they opened themselves to the influence of Jesus' teaching. Not just one of the particular teachings of the day, but the top influence of life. What Jesus held as important, they took on as important. Jesus' purposes became their purposes. Jesus' mission became their mission. Jesus' story transformed them. Because when Jesus said, do this, they didn't go, wow, gosh, I wonder if that's kind of reasonable. Let me think about it for a moment. Hmm. No, they just said, how high do you want me to jump? When you say it, I'm going to do it and let, that's it. The question is, will you? Will you come to Jesus, release control, admit that you're not God and that he is? I love what Proverbs 23 verse 26 says. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. And that's exactly what Jesus says to you and me. He says, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God. Have as your heart's movement to live and love like Jesus. Have your heart's passion to beat for what his beats for to place him in that central part of life and let your eyes observe my ways. Let your eyes observe Jesus' ways. For in him is healing, healing for our hurts, healing for our hangups, and hope to change our bad habits. The question is, will we surrender to him? Will we come, sit at his feet, and actually learn Can you really wear that title, disciple of Jesus? Or is it more disciple of the latest trend of the day? Disciple of self? Or is it disciple of Jesus? Because it means learner. You know, we do like to see and experience transformation. It's a beautiful thing. I, I love watching my daughter, Jessica. She's great with child. It's just a few, I mean, it's going to be probably a month or so, but I love to watch that transformation of that baby just growing inside of her. Oh, by the way, I don't know if some of you know this, but my other daughter, Jamie, she's pregnant too. Yes. Woo. Um, I'm just a little excited about that. Yeah, they do things together. Sisters. Um, But to to see that little one transform and then to have watched them grow up uh, is just amazing. We love things that are refurbished, that are repurposed, that are rebuilt, made useful again. It's happening with my Jeepster outside it's happening with John from Compton, and it can happen in our lives as well. We need it because of all the hurts and hang-ups and the bad habits that we develop in life, that life that drags us into tragedy, <clears throat> and yet there is triumph. As we know Jesus knows, 
as we believe Jesus has the answer, as we release control and surrender to Jesus. Will you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the challenge this morning to be just like those disciples that sit at the feet of Jesus and learn and listen and take in and apply all that you teach. Lord, we've got some great teaching that's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks. And even this morning as we're challenged to, to lean into your word. Help us to do that. Help us to uh, sense what you want us to sense and to grow as you want us to grow. And Father, help us in that. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Watch this video. This uh, new ministry that we're uh, going to be starting here in just a few, actually weeks. (laughs) Yeah. Thursday after next. It's called Celebrate Recovery. It's, it's, a, it's a lot more than just simply a recovery, uh, an addict recovering. It's so much more in that. And, and it's, it's taking on Jesus' teaching, specifically from Matthew chapter 5. And God has used this uh, ministry in a lot of people's lives. And so I've asked Mike Cobell to come up. Mike has uh, um, been uh, involved in that ministry, le- helping lead that ministry. But he's also uh, uh, been through that ministry. And... Um, Oh, sorry, I, was, I, I didn't know you needed a thing. That's okay. Um, but uh, Mike is going to be leading that ministry here. And so, Mike, share with us your testimony. Thanks, Mike. I am so grateful for what God has done in my life, in my heart these past years. But I'm especially grateful for how he's used Celebrate Recovery as his most powerful tool to make those changes in my life. I only have time to share just a tiny glimpse of all that God has, has done in my life through CR. To hear, the, to hear the whole story come a week from this Thursday, November 6th, uh, up in room 207. When we launch the ministry, I'll be sharing my full testimony that evening, and I'm confident it'll be a great blessing to you. I was the oldest of four boys. My parents were involved in our lives in many ways, but they gave us the best home that they could. But because of their own pain and hurts... They were unable to give us the nurturing that we needed. They never said, I love you, never gave us hugs, never asked, how are you feeling, never modeled how to express anger in a healthy way. They couldn't share their own feelings without hurting other people or injuring others. So I grew up with this gnawing emptiness in my heart. Something was hurting inside me, but I didn't know what it was. I felt alone, isolated, abandoned angry. When they disciplined me, I resented it. One Saturday in sixth grade, the pain is, I still feel the pain even today. I was hurting so badly that I tried to run away from home. It hurts too much. I have to get away from here. I rode my Stingray bike for about 15 minutes, got about a half mile away and realized I didn't have anywhere to go. So I rode back home. I was afraid to let my parents know So I snuck quietly to my room, and I just collapsed on my bed, and I sobbed. I felt so alone, so unloved. I began to withdraw, turn my emotions off so I wouldn't keep getting hurt. A high school friend invited me to his church youth group. The people there were kind and loving. It was one of the first times in my life I remember feeling unconditionally loved. I kept attending 
And at age 14 and a half, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was discipled by an older, an older believer and grew strong in God's word. I did my best to obey God, began serving in different ways. At 16, I met Lori, the girl of my dreams, and at age 20, we were married. Even though I loved God and I wanted to please him with all my heart because of my upbringing, I wasn't able to connect emotionally with Lori or our children. It wasn't that I didn't try. Lori helped me to learn to say I love you and express some of my emotions, but the damage that sin has done doesn't heal all by itself. Until we choose God's path of healing, like Mike talked about this morning, the pain that's been buried for so long, it's still there. It doesn't go away. Like a drum of toxic waste at the bottom of a lake, poisoning the water. Because I didn't know how to express anger in a healthy way, it would stew inside me. I'd spend all day sometimes grumpy and upset, not knowing why. I'd say mean, hurtful things to my wife and to my children. I was doing the same thing to them that my father had done to me. A Christian counselor helped me uncover my feelings of abandonment and loss, and after eight months with the counselor, God led me to start attending Celebrate Recovery. God began to heal my heart. Through CI, I learned what it meant to have brothers in Christ who loved me unconditionally in spite of my failures and my shame. I learned what it meant to have men who would hold me accountable and support me as I committed to this process of growth. I learned how to reach out, love, and encourage them as they stumbled painfully forward with me on their own path of healing. My life did not magically become perfect, but I'm different. I'm not the same man I was five years ago. God has healed my relationship with my wife and my children, and he continues healing my heart and helping me to grow in character. I'm so grateful for how God has used Celebrate Recovery as a powerful tool to help me grow into the person that I am today. We'll be talking about God's plan for emotional healing in in this series that Mike started today. But for now, hear this. Emotional healing from the damage of sin is an essential, non-optional part of how God builds Christ's character in you, making you his disciple. And Celebrate Recovery is the most powerful way we have today of allowing God to open that tool chest in your life and begin the process. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. Thank you.